I rampantly go through my handbag as soon as I alight the matatu looking for my phone. I panic almost immediately. A part of me is so used to this panic and the familiarity of this fear every time I don't feel my phone when I reach for it is nauseating. Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, my phone. I kneel to the ground as I start haphazardly rampaging through my bag, taking out the things in it. My school notebooks, my papers, hand lotion, tampons, everything. I put them down. I shake the bag multiple times in disbelief. I flip it upside down. At that moment, I know something horrible is coming into focus and I can only sit here and wait for it. Oh no, I lost my phone. But I just had it. I sent a quick text to my mom on my way home and I put it back to the side of my bag. And then some stupid guy asked me to pick something off the ground and maybe that was it. I feel my eyes get wet and heavy. How? Why? I hate this feeling of loss, defeat and complete failure. I change position from squatting to kneeling. I need a minute to catch my breath. I can't cry right now. There's already enough embarrassment. I have all the things that were in my past a few minutes before on the ground. I am at a bus stop. Everyone is staring at this point. There's a lady standing beside me. She's well dressed in black dress pants, a white shirt and grey plastic shoes. The ones that had holes in them and every single female in the city had a pair of two in different colours, despite how hot they got walking in the sun. She has been watching me every single minute since I alighted. She walks towards me. I can tell she knows what just happened. Her eyes filled with pity. Okosawa, madam. Um, eh, lakini, I think it may be wasimu. I stammer, mostly in disbelief and shock. Hui, pole, umeangalia mifuko vizuri, sazingini unasawo mali unoyaka vitu. I foolishly check again, as if her words had miraculously made it reappear. Nothing. I start putting everything back into my bag and I stand up weakly defeated. I'm trying so hard to take in deep breaths, holding back the tears that are so close to pouring down my face. Haki pole, madam. Lakini hii Nairobi unajua haihurumie yote. Jua kuchunga simu. I look at her, taking in the unsolicited and very unneeded advice at this moment, and start walking away, heading home, dreading the conversation I'm about to have with my mother. Where are you from? The polite man across the table asks me. He holds on to his glass of red wine and shifts uneasily. We are seated across the table from each other at a wedding reception bar, waiting for the actual party to begin. Around us are all the other guests, so well-dressed in gorgeous ensembles. The reception is held in a gorgeous ballroom. Love is in the air, as if it's a new kind of electricity, so palpable and real. Amid all the romantic hue, we are renewed in our belief in love at weddings. I love being a wedding guest, to watch love right out in the open. Everyone is always ready to let their happy flags fly, walk around with lightness and a new sense of gratitude for love and a new sense of cherish for our lovers. I get this question a lot. Sometimes it's right after I say my name is Wamboi. Sometimes it's right after someone recognizes I pronounce things differently. Sometimes it's just because of my skin color, which seems to be a strange identifier of not automatically being from this country. Um... Kenya, I smile, passing my lips, hoping this won't be one of the many questions that is about to proceed as usual. Oh, but we're in Kenya. He asks with a genuine look on his face and not the typical, I have a friend who built a church in Zambia, do you know them? kind of question. I feel my eyebrow raise. 
because I'm genuinely surprised. It warms my heart that someone not from Kenya knows more than just the existence of the country. I take a sip of my drink, letting the sweet notes of grape settle me into the conversation. I glance at the bartender who is gracefully shaking the cocktail mixer and pouring drinks to the guests who have lined up across the bar, all still cheerful in conversation. Nairobi, have you been? I asked. No, he said, but I have had a lot of great things. Tell me, what do you miss the most about Nairobi? My thoughts trail in wonder. I swell the edge of my glass of wine, almost taking a sip. This is a heavy question, I think. How do I describe my whole life to this stranger I just met? It feels almost insensitive to summarize my city, my childhood, and my upbringing into a mere paragraph or even a sentence. I smile and I simply respond. Nairobi is a city that can only be consumed in digestible pieces. You can't talk about it as a whole. It is very vast in people, experiences, drama, lifestyle. And I think everyday living in Nairobi contains an entire lifetime's worth of stories. To talk about it sufficiently is to live it. Well, why don't you tell me about a typical day then? He asked as he signaled us to walk towards our tables along with the rest of the guests. I board a minibus on the way to the hair salon. It's about 8 a.m., a typical morning rush hour. Men and women rushing to take matatus to work. In the minibus, everyone seated with their headphones stuck in their ears despite the radio in the car being on. In the background, Maina and Kengangi are debating about one more issue that couples are hiding from each other or how men and women should do better. It always amazes me listening to the conversations they have, the secrets hidden in homes but so publicly shared to strangers. I look outside the window at the bus conductors trying to convince one more passenger to get in the car with the passengers looking more and more annoyed than convinced. Within a few minutes, I was walking towards the salon. Business owners opening up for the day, heavy scents of mandazi and chapati filling the air. Street food made these roads our home in the way that binds the soul. All around, they chat away about their morning with fleeting smiles and gestures of appreciation that are the beauty of home. I come here to get my hair braided every month. As soon as I walk in, a jingle announces my entrance through the decorative strings hanging on the door. I see Patty, the owner, standing right at the entrance, holding on to a chunk of hair already plating. She quickly glances towards me, saying, Sasom Rembo, Karibu, Nashukwanini Leo. And then she smiled. Before I could answer, Anjoki, the girl who would end up doing my hair today, stands up from where she's seated in the back and pulls out a chair, signaling me to sit. I take my shoes off. The floor is squeaky clean and still wet from the cleaning they had always done so early. As I sit in the chair, Joki is already tugging at my hair band with one hand as she reaches for a comb with the other. She starts combing through the hair with aggression at first and then she softens slowly as she hums. The hair salon is a wide space of mirrors and plastic chairs of different colors. The walls are pink and purple, aligned with postures of different hairstyles. I always wonder how many of these hairstyles have actually been tried on people's heads. I spend a lot of time staring at them. The ladies in the pictures all looked so perfect with neat cornrows. The floor is lined with black and white carpet, sets of dryers close to the wall on one side of the room, some with broken knobs and covers, pink tiny shelves around the room filled with rollers of different colors and combs. It was personal and communal all at once. I watch Njoki move in rhythm as she washes, blow dries and straightens my hair. It's what she does every day, but still she does it meticulously as if for the first time. Shortly after she sections the hair and begins to twist, two other ladies join her. It felt like having hair pulled in different directions, but this way it went faster. 
a man comes by with a tray of products for sale. Patty politely waves him off saying, see you later, and then he walks away. Shortly after, a woman comes by with a bag and she pours all the contents to the floor in an attempt to convince the ladies in the salon to buy. In them were bras and underwear, which made sense why they called her Wamangoda. It's always strange the comfort they have with people coming in and out of the salon. The normalcy in the chaos of everything. As the day progresses, the hawkers change from businessmen to food vendors, obviously aware of the lunch hour. The ladies doing my hair slowly start to yawn. I can occasionally hear their stomachs rumble, but they don't have time to sit and eat a meal as they should. They ask for a chapati or two. I watch them slide down the paper bag and eat hungrily as they continue braiding their hair. In my opinion, it would take less time if they sat and ate, but I sometimes wondered if they were told not to, or this was just a habit that became the culture. Eventually, they turn on the TV to watch Afro cinema. The commentaries of the salonists are more dramatic than the movie itself. They laugh along, imitating the accents and theatrics. I forget how much joy is accessible until I spend time here. It's one of those spaces that removes barriers between people, as if no matter the weather outside, it's always sunshine in the salon. There is touch, massage, conversations, and smiles. It was a place loneliness melted with the vibrancy that lived there. A place of connection as much as pampering. We all went here to look beautiful on the outside and let it feed our insides. I love it. After an overwhelming amount of hours, I leave the salon and say a quick thank you to Patty. As she says, Salimia mam sawa. My head feels tight from the pulling and I have to remember to take a Tylenol. I smile and say goodbye and I feel my forehead tighten. I'm convinced getting hair done is like getting free Botox every time. I walk to the bus stop through the busy street. Cars honking loudly as they pass by. Little children running home wearing uniforms that are untucked. Hair uncombed. Shoes so full of dust the colors are unclear. The most beautiful sound is always in their voices laughing as they have useless arguments. Apana, combined with laughter. The street vendors have set up for the evening. Madam, all these noises of the street are the good heartbeat of the city, a sort of fabric that weaves into the matter of this place, and they get into your soul and become you. I get home, and as I get off at the bus stop, I notice the maze vendor. He stands confidently in his corner, over the rack of maize, turning them with skill. He is the most important person at this bus stop, and he knows it. He hands over maize, glazed in lemon and pepper seasoning to the impatiently waiting customers. He looks over my direction and asks, Madam, I love that he asks this out of kindness. I want the whole cob, of course. He spins another cob, puts his forceps down and starts getting one ready for me. And by the time I'm walking home, it's getting darker. I clutch onto my handbag a little tighter. I cannot afford to lose another phone. I hold onto my cob and I savor it as I walk. Alongside walking with me are passengers coming from work. The crowds never seem to disperse in this city. Cars start to pile up in traffic as it is again a time for a rush back home. I slip into the crowd. I wouldn't trade this anonymity for anything. To blend in with a thousand faces that look just like mine as I walk home. The ebb and flow of life in this community is consoling. The sounds of our neighborhood, as uniform as they may be, are an ever-morphing story of the ordinary extraordinary. Every sound blending in, flourishing with a rhythm, the rhythm of community. I love the city with every fiber of my being. Sure, 
There are thieves in the crowd, inconsistent customer service, street children who don't deserve the lives that's been handed to them. But there are also a hundred angels in the rough. These folks walk around with tired faces because the hustle, as exhausting as it can be, is their identity. And fatigue has become part of their DNA. With broken eyes, they have hearts of pure light within them just waiting for the right circumstances to break loose. It's our basic or maybe ancestral programming to be good, kind, and loving in our DNA. That is why I'm never happier than on these busy streets. These people are my kin, my kind. I'd love to keep going, to keep relieving. This is a city that cannot be explained but experienced. I romanticize memories of it. I long for every single chance to go back. And maybe next time, I'll tell you a story about the one time my friend and I were chased by a naked madman. He laughs right as the MC announces the bridal party into the reception hall. Ladies and gentlemen, stand up to your feet to welcome our lovely bride and groom. As always, thank you so much for taking the time to listen and grow with me through this platform. Let me just say, I really enjoyed writing and editing this podcast and I hope you did too. It made me really, really homesick, but it also made me really, really grateful and humbled. I never say this enough and I feel like I will never say this enough, but I'm so thankful for you for listening, for sharing, for commenting, for coming back every single time, even with my inconsistency. I don't take it for granted. And I'm very, very excited for what 2022 has in store for you and your beautiful heart. And you can find me on Instagram at buildwords underscore podcast. Send me like a message over there. Send me like a emoji, just something. Let's have a conversation and let's get to know each other. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ain't no city like my city, oh, no, no.